Welcome to the Intuitive Rising Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Brooks. This is a podcast that invites you to remember who you are, return to yourself, and rise into your highest and best soul self. Every week, I will be sharing inspiring conversations about topics that hold keys to your awakening. My mission as an international evidential psychic medium, Reiki practitioner, and intuitive mentor is to help you rise into who you were born to be. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Intuitive Rising podcast. I am your host, Amy Brooks, and we're here today to talk about all things witchy. Okay, we are deep into October now. We are coming up to the third week of October. And when this airs, I think this will be late October. I really didn't want to let my favorite month pass without kind of talking about the energy of autumn season, why I love it so much, maybe a little bit of the history of it, a little bit of the witch wound. I've been talking lately, uh, in one of my recent episodes, I talked a little bit about the witch wound and how this really connects to, um, you know, that can be the psychic wound as well, like how the witch archetype and uh, you know, all, all of what's been stored in the collective around that can affect how we now feel about people that do work like this and how that's all intertwined. Um, that was a great episode. I believe it was the episode that is called Psychic Fair Gone Wrong. Check that out. I f- actually feel that is a must listen. Really a lot to unpack with that episode. But today I'm here to talk about all things witchy and my favorite season, Autumn. So I've got a whole bunch of tabs open on my computer here of things that I want to dive into and speak on. First, let's talk about what is a witch wound? Like what what does that mean exactly? I am referring to a website called madgebymoonlight.com. And I really liked how this person has um, talked about this. So Kudos to you. Credit to this person that moderates this page, Match by Moonlight. I will put it in the show notes in case you want to read it. So it says, does speaking your truth feel deeply unsafe? Does being authentically seen by others feel threatening? Do you dim your own light, shrink yourself, and hide your gifts? Do you doubt and diminish your emotions and intuition? Do you often feel that you are both too much and not enough for society? If you're like me, you're nodding your head. You may carry the age-old spiritual trauma known as the witch wound. So the witch wound is an inherited collective trauma that's rooted in the dark history of what this author calls the burning times. So when people that were really in touch with nature, with the cycles of nature, with, um, you know, plant medicine, with the spirit world, Uh, with their inner knowing, this wisdom, right? That's what witch means. It literally means wise one, wise one. So the burning times is when all of that was feared. And people like me, people like you were persecuted. We were judged. We were murdered for being in touch with the land, for knowing ourselves, for having a deep inner knowing and that did not bode well with the powers to be um and so this collective trauma that comes from this time period it manifests as a fear of being seen speaking up and stepping into our full magic and power i absolutely resonate with this a thousand percent um 
you guys know that I've been doing a lot of ancestral research over the last couple of years, digging into, you know, my ancestry on all four sides of the family. It's pretty wild. I've taken my paternal grandfather's side back to the 1400s in Devon, United Kingdom, which is pretty cool. Um, all four sides, though, have roots in Scotland and Ireland. I feel like this is why I'm so connected to those places, but also to Celtic um, Celtic, you know, spirituality for sure. Um, but I, for one, have been always nervous of how I'm perceived by other people, how other people will respond to what I say or how I feel or what I do. And that has certainly kept me small for many, many years. And although I am working through that in real time, there's still work to be done right? There's still parts of me that holds myself back in different ways because of this fear. I think it's important to know that the awareness is a gift. It's not something that any of us have to feel shame about, you know, that, or we should feel like, oh my goodness, there's something wrong with me. Like, why can't I move through this fear? Please remember that as an intuitive person, male or female, as a wise one, you would carry within you this wound of, if I am myself, if I speak my mind, if I show up as I am, I will be hurt for this. I will be shunned. You know, I, I will be, could be murdered, right? I would be banished from my community, from my family, from everything that I know. So it's, you know, it was a survival technique to keep quiet. That's how you got here now was because many of our ancestors would have had to, you know, play the part to keep small and to keep quiet so that they could survive. But the thing that rushes through me right now as I speak is that we do not need to be small anymore in order to survive. In, in actuality, our actual survival, I feel, as a species, as humankind, is in dissolving these collective traumas and wounds and getting back to being in touch with each other, with our world. Like, look what's happening in the world right now. In the name of different religions, in the name of different belief systems, in the name of greed, right? We are quite literally destroying the earth and each other. So it's time to... Step into who you really are. It's safe. We've got this army of ancestors. I got huge goosebumps as I say this. Standing behind us. Willing us on. We can do this. So during the burning times, tens of thousands of innocent women and men were imprisoned, tortured, and executed in the most inhumane and brutal of ways. Burning, beheaded, beheading, drowning, hanging. Hmm. Those accused who escaped execution were exiled from their communities and stepped, sorry, stripped of their status and pushed out of their vocations. They lost everything for being themselves. 
Some of these victims were healers and midwives, wise women and men, and diviners. I always say this word diviners, but I don't know if it's the right how you say it. Diviners, someone who divines, uh, who served their communities. Others were simply people who were too outspoken, too old, too rich, too poor, too beautiful, too ugly, too, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Anyone who is not falling in line and standing within the status quo, living their lives within the box. All of them were victims of patriarchy, capitalism, imperialism, and religious tyranny. Our ancestors who have survived these dark times carried the memory of these events, not just in their minds, but also in their bodies. Their fear and their shame, their grief, their survival instincts have been passed down. And now they live in our blood and bodies and bones. This is the legacy of the witch wound. It exists in the soul, it exists in our DNA, and it also exists in our societal and cultural worlds. This is still happening. This op oppression is still happening in so many different ways, whether things are acceptable are worthy, whether things are okay, you know, how we judge other people, how we judge ourselves, how we hold ourselves back. You know, I recently got a tattoo. I'm going to show it to you if you're on, if you're on YouTube, I got this tattoo. It's just, it's brand new and it's fully healed. Um, it is the most me tattoo ever. So we've got my totem animal, red fox. We've got a crescent moon. We've got the PLE Pallades. I am so in my head about how to pronounce Pallades. I think it's, it's Pallidians. It's Pallidians, but I always forget how to say Pallides. It's Pallides. There we go. Okay. There we've got the star cluster. We've got sunflowers. We got this fortune telling little crystal ball. And there was healing actually in getting this tattoo. And I mean, quite literally, cause I'm still healing, <laughs> but I mean, in doing it in, I don't want to say like getting up the nerve to do it because I don't think that's right or that fits, but it's the best kind of term that's or way to describe it that's coming to my mind right now like it's huge it's colorful it's in your face it's in a place that yeah I could wear a long shirt but like I'm not gonna be wearing long sleeve shirts every day of my life for the rest of my life it was an active choice and an active intention to put it where I put it and to get what I got on my arm and for me that's part partly healing the witch wound right it's accepting myself in more ways than one. It's accepting the fact that, hey, I've got a totem animal. I believe in star beings, right? I believe I'm connected to them. I believe in my inner knowing. I believe I know that I'm psychic and I work with my psychic skills. You know, I'm guided by the moon. I have a totem animal. Like all of these things are beliefs of mine that I'm not going to hide ever again, wearing them loud and proud. Um, but there's also this healing of like just acceptance of body because for years I would walk around with a thin cardigan on in 40 degree heat, um, because I didn't want to show my flabby arms off. And now I'm like, put, slap some art on there, some very personalized art that I love and I'm proud to show off that says exactly who I am and I'm no longer ever going to cover up my eyes my arms rather. You can cover your eyes if you don't like it, right? And that's what I mean by healing. 
And I feel like a lot of us are beginning to take our power back in those ways as well. But there used to be a lot of judgment around this. I have a friend who I won't name, I won't get super personal about, but I have a friend who recently got her very first tattoo at the age of, I think, just about 40, um, about to turn 40, uh, got it on her inner forearm, not overly large, small, but very personal and had to sit with it, like really wanted it, but also realized that there was some like preconceived notions and judgments about what a person who has tattoos is like, right? And like, am I a person that would get a tattoo, right? Or is that like for someone else, but like also wanting the tattoo? And so moving through the fear and the resistance and getting a tattoo and then actually feeling more like themselves than they ever did before. So it's very interesting, you know, like how that stuff can play out. We, we, you know, in, in past years, somebody might be, have been judged because they had tattoos or piercings or because they dyed their hair. And now it's kind of like much more socially acceptable. We're moving in the right direction. We are taking back our power, but this is what the witch wound is, right? It's, it's, it's about hiding. It's about being afraid. And um, yeah, um, it shows up in our lives still, but the more we show up in small ways, the more that we hold ourselves accountable, the more that we hold others accountable, the more that we really line up and lean into our own sovereignty and like, what is, who are you? Like, who am I? That's a question that I, I've been hearing a lot lately. Who am I? Like, I feel like spirit is wanting us to ask that question to ourselves. Who am I? And in what ways may I be holding myself small or back? In what ways am I avoiding life? And could it be because I am afraid of what someone else might think? That would be working through your witch wound. So let's talk a little bit about paganism now. So paganism, I'm going to a website called umass.edu. There's a couple of websites I'm going to go to when we talk about paganism. But I liked this definition. So it says the absolute basics, paganism 101. Paganism is a quickly growing spiritual movement consisting of various groups practicing nature-based poly theistic religions loosely based on the religions of the ancient world our beliefs are incredibly varied coming from various traditions there's a reverence for nature and the physical world and a belief in non-authoritarian religion some different names you might hear us used to describe ourselves are wiccan witch heathen as true as a true druid fairy tradition, solitary practitioner, eclectic, and many others. Pagans view the world as a place of joy and life, not of sin and suffering. We believe that the divine is here with us in the natural world, not in some faraway place in the sky. We hold a deep reverence for nature and the earth, and pagans tend to be very earth conscious. Some pagans believe in a um, believe in gods and goddesses. Others see them as merely names and forms that allow us easier contact with the divine. In most cases, pagans see the divine as present in both male and female principles. Pagans do not recruit members. We feel that every person reveres the divine in their own way and that no religion is better than another. You can see why I really liked this definition. I think this is perfect. Um, 
I love this connection to the earth and to connection to the, the, yeah. <laughs> let's see if I can, if I can speak, maybe I should take a sip of tea. This connection to the divine ourselves, right? Because you guys have heard me say many times that for me, really tapping into my intuition and healing the witch wound and moving through any religious trauma, like really stepping into this deep faith that I now have came from me accepting that the divine was in me, the divine was in all of us, that we all are droplets of God. And that is truly how I feel. And that's been so healing for me. And so I really do, although I don't call myself a pagan, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of a label to speak on a belief system. I certainly can see myself in this for sure. Um, I can see aspects of my belief system in this belief system. Um, I'm going to go to one more website called thecollector.com. What is pagan religion? Um, let's see. It's about ultimately about reconnecting to the natural world and the belief that all living things interact in a natural symbiosis. Uh, pagans view the natural world as sacred. They celebrate the interconnectivity of all things, seeing humans, nature, and spiritual beings as part of the web of life. Yeah, I definitely am feeling this. Um, pagan religious practices of today are linked to ancient, ancient cultures who existed in close harmony with the natural world. These ancient pagans would not have used the term pagan to describe themselves, but would have developed distinct indigenous practices related to their own set of circumstances. Um, so things like, you know, stone circles, Stonehenge is an ancient religious site. So they would have performed their own rituals in a na in natural settings, such as stone circles, hilltop streams, waterfalls, forest, etc. Um, these would have been their places of worship. And they would have especially arranged this kind of worship in these natural settings in accordance with patterns of nature, such as summer and winter solstice. I have shared here many times that my absolute favorite day of the whole year is the winter solstice. And the more I learn about, um, you know, paganism and Celtic spirituality, the more that makes sense why I love that day so much. It's like a remembering to some degree of this kind of cyclical um, pattern and this reverence for nature and the changes and the way that the, the stars speak to us and all this kind of stuff. Um, historically, pagans practiced outside of traditional religion. So we know this. Um, the word heathen actually comes from, um, you know, one who it, it was kind of used as a derogatory term to describe someone who was not, you know, their belief system was not within a more uh, Judeo-Christian type of religion belief system. Um, someone who was a pagan or had those belief systems would have been called a heathen, which, you know, I have heard before I've actually been called a heathen once a very very long time ago by someone because I did something differently than they kind of 
you know, thought that I should do it in a different order. <laughs> I did something in a, in an order. Actually, I'm just going to be honest with you guys here because honesty is the best policy. And I'm sure that somebody somewhere has had a similar experience. And I was expecting my first child. Um, so I have three children with my husband. Uh, but our first child was conceived out of wedlock, as was our second. Um, and uh, there's no shame or anything around that. I that doesn't bother me in the least at all. But it did bother some people. And somebody who didn't know me very well actually said, "What is she a heathen?" <laughs> uh, yeah, that that was a really nice comment. But here we are, you know, um, me and my heathen self has uh, been his loyal partner for 20 years and given him three kids. So can't be all bad. <laughs> so let's see. I love this part here, the pagan religion and witchcraft. So it says the so-called witches of the 16th and 17th centuries were later recognized by some historians of the 19th century as pagans. Meanwhile, elements of what one was once known as witchcraft have become integrated in pagan practices since the 1960s, including alternative medicines, holistic healing, crystals, tarot cards, and spells. This is this overlap. This is where these two weave together this concept of witches and witchcraft and paganism. This is where it, it weaves together and where I really, really resonate. Um, yeah, so let's see. The religion became mainstream during the 1960s. Let's see. So in the 1960s, paganism became a widespread and popular practice among, among the hippie generation. I knew I loved those hippies. who rejected mainstream society for alternate views. And increasing awareness of past and distant cultures helped in the resurgence of ancient practices such as druidry and shamanism and a move away from Christianity. Paganism particularly appealed to feminists as a symbol of defiance in the face of religious oppression and the celebration of Mother Nature as a feminine force. Similarly, ecologists saw paganism as a means of preserving the increasingly fragile planet and attuning with nature's needs. What do we think so far? Who is feeling a little bit like a pagan here? I think it's important. We don't need labels for how we go about, how we kind of move into the world. Labels are something that I've always struggled with a little bit. Like um, even me using the word psychic, I had to move through a lot of resistance around that. I'm sure it's connected to this um, witch wound, right? This this collective trauma and this archetype of what that means how that connects um, to psychic abilities and things like that. And feeling like, mm, if I say psychic, people are going to think I'm a certain way. They're going to think I'm kind of like that um, fortune telling, you know, woman with the crystal ball who is not really all here in some way, you know, um, is kind of a form of entertainment, not anybody to take seriously, not someone who is actually here with the intention to heal and to help and sees this work as a healing modality. It was really hard for me to work through the resistance that myself as a psychic could also be all of those things that I just talked about. I didn't want to call myself a psychic because I thought, well, then people are going to think I'm all about a certain thing and I'm actually not. But at the same time, I want to be empowered and own the fact that I am a psychic person and that I have 
psychic abilities and they serve me well and they can serve my clients well. So it was this thing I had to move, move through, right? Um, there was a lot of resistance with me about that, though. I will tell you what. Um, there's an energy about autumn. You know, for me, autumn has been my favorite time of the year. My whole life, I've always been like, oh, I'm an autumn person. I'm a fall person. Um, I just always get excited. October is my favorite month of the year. I always kind of wish that one of my babies would be born in October. I didn't get that. <laughs> None of them were born in October. I contemplated getting married in October. My husband and I did. The only reason we didn't is because when we got married, we did have two children and they were both, um, well, one was in school. The other one was not yet school aged and we decided to get married out of province and we didn't want to take the kid, like our oldest child out of school for, you know, a week or two while we got married and honeymooned and they stayed with family in another province. So we decided to get married in the summer. So we got married in August, but if we had married like locally and we had got married where we were, I definitely would have wanted to get married in October. I just think there's something absolutely magical about the autumn season, particularly October. Now, I think part of this may be because of my, like just how innate this season is within me. Like when we talk about gene keys and human design and our astrological birth chart. A lot of my chart, whether we're talking about gene keys, human design, or my astrological birth chart, has um, autumn connections, right? So there's there's a lot of Libra, Librin, Librarian. I don't know how to say it. Libra <laughs> energy in my chart. I'm a Libra moon. I'm a Virgo rising. I... Um, Half of my incarnation cross are gates that are happen during Libra season. So I think it's just a very innate time for me and it feels very natural. But I also really, really love the transition of fall. It feels kind of like the in-between. And I really, really like the idea of the in-between. I think that magic happens in the in-between, right? We tend to live in a world of extremes, this or that, right or wrong, black or white. But a lot of the magic happens by blending the two and being in this in-between stage. And that's how I view fall. And I also view spring like that as well. And spring is my second favorite a season. You know, I just love the transition seasons. I think there's magic to be had in them. You know, there's there's kind of a feeling of endings in the fall. Things are dying, quite literally. Things are going into hibernation. You know, our growing season is over. Uh, when it comes to our food growing season, for the most part, we got harvest time, Thanksgiving, uh, happens here in October in Canada. And um, there's just this energy of something's coming to an end, something closing, and to celebrate that, right? So I feel like with paganism, there was a lot of celebration of, of the season. In fact, I found an article um, from botanicgardenbristol.ac.uc. So it's from the University of Bristol. Uh, I wanted to, I was looking up some information about the term, the veil, right? Or thinning of the veil. And what does that mean? Because a lot of people will talk about this time of year, the season of the witch, October, as we get closer into 
uh, Halloween or Sawin as it is pronounced um, by some people. It becomes, a lot of people will say the veil is thinning. So I was like, well, what exactly does that mean? And where's the history? Like, where does that come from? So I loved this article. I'm going to share bits and pieces with you. So it's talking about how summer has ended, winter is ahead, and we are at the conduit between the series seasons. I love this word conduit because I just talked about this middle, right? This blending, this transition of this in-between time that we're in right now. And it's a junction that was highly significant to our ancestors. So they go on to talk about Halloween. So it hasn't always been Halloween. It used to be called Samhain, uh, originating from Celtic paganism. The dying of the season and the trees going dormant and a harvest behind them was thought to be the time of the year when the veil between the living and the dead was the thinnest. So isn't this interesting? Because we're, we're talking about being in the middle, this conduit between seasons. We're moving from summer where everything is alive, right? Think of the symbology here. The alive summer, winter, dead, right? Everything's going dormant. And we're at the in-between. We're in the in-between. So we're quite literally between the living and the dead. So is this why we call it thinning of the veil? Is this why people feel like our ancestors and those who are past the spirit world is closer to us during this time period? Kind of sounds like it. Um, because of this, relatives and friends who had passed that year were invited to share in the festivities food and food was left around in case they were passing through. Isn't this interesting? So it's kind of like when we leave little things out for our ancestors or on our altars, right? We leave little bits and pieces. So interesting. It was a time of honoring the dead. A time of celebration of life and death, right? Again, where this in between this conduit, I love this so much. And this is the link between the two. Oh my goodness. This is like, I'm having an aha moment as we're recording this because you guys know that I'm planning to write a solo book. And in fact, I've begun it. And there's like, I have a little, a couple little paragraphs ready to go. But the thing is, I have the title and I've had the title for a while now. And the title is so like amazingly perfect to um, what we're talking about here. And it just seems like a big old heck yes from the universe. So I'll give you that as a little sneak peek. But yeah, my mind is just like, as we're talking. Oh, the symbolism of passing of the passing of summer and the darker days of winter is hard to ignore. Mm. Fires were lit to symbolize the warmth and the light of the sun, and people would take the flames of this bonfire back to their homes and light their home fires from the communal one, cementing the reliance on each other. Oh, how beautiful. So they would take the fire from this communal fire, and they would go back with their torch, their stick or whatever it was, and then they light their home fire with it to symbolize this connection as a community. How beautiful is that? Hmm. Sawin has some great stories. And so I'm not going to read them all to you, but I definitely will link this um, website in the show notes because I think that you guys would probably want to read it. But there's some, you know, things that we still do around this time that they did then. So it says rituals were performed in the guise of games. The results were meant to nod towards the player's future. 
For instance, we all know this one. Apples were peeled in one go. And the one, well, no, we don't know this one, but we know Bob. I thought they were going to talk about bobbing for apples, but they will in a moment. Okay, so it says apples were peeled in one go. When the peel was thrown over the shoulder, it was said to land in the shape of the first letter of any future partner. Interesting. Let's try this out. Let me know if this works. Peel, peel an apple in one go, right? So in one consistent peel. Throw the peel over your head and let us know <laughs> what letter shows up and if that is the initial of your partner. Or maybe there's somebody here who's, you know, it's your future partner if you're, if you're not already partnered up. I love this. I think I'll try it. Apples were associated with the other world. Hmm, I didn't know this. And immortality, or so, sorry, they were associated with the other world and immortality and were involved in a few traditions such as apple bobbing. We knew this one and a similar unfathomable game involving a revolving stick with an apple and a candle attached. Have you guys heard of this? I've never heard of that. I don't know if they're even going to talk about it, but I'm going to have to Google it later. Hazelnuts were also significant food that were related to divine wisdom. And another reminder, another signifier of a good romantic match. Very cool. In one nut game, two hazelnuts were roasted in a fire and named as the person roasting them and the person they fancied. Ooh, so they literally named the hazelnuts as one was named after the person who was roasting them and one was named after the person that they fancied. If while roasting the nuts stayed still and quiet, then this was a good sign for the match. If, however, the nuts jumped away from the fire, then it was bad news. These days we have dating apps. Back then it was roasting hazelnuts. So funny. Um, so it also talks about trick or treat. And I did learn this a couple of years ago when Aaron and I on our other poll, um, my other podcast, Soul Rising, talked about the history of Samhain. Um, about how originally we used turnips instead of pumpkins. Uh, and, uh, this was people used to go from house to house, dressed up as mischievous, mischievous spirits that emerged through the thin veil between the worlds asking for food. They lit their way with a carved turnip that had been hollowed out and used as a lantern. So funny. So funny. Um, so I think that's really cool. There's, there was rituals that were associated with this time, this conduit, the biggest aha moment I had while reading that article was about, I think it kind of just put into words how I felt about the autumn season. And, you know, when we talk about the veil being thin, why it is, it's because of this in-between space, summer representing the sun and warmth and growth, growth and aliveness and the winter of darkness and cold and death. So it's quite literally in between that. So if we thought about, you know, the living world is representing summer or summer representing that. And then the spirit world is being winter. This time of year is quite literally both and. It's in between both. So that's where this thinning of the veil comes from. How interesting. The last thing I want to talk about today is a book that I want to recommend to you. It kind of came to my mind 
um, as I was thinking of talking about this topic today. It's a book that I read a couple years ago. I got it for Christmas and I read it literally, I was done it before New Year's Day. Like I read it maybe in a, in two days over Christmas vacation. I just like binged read it. I don't know why. It wasn't like a typical kind of book that I would binge read, but it just, something in it just felt like this deep remembrance and I just gobbled the book up. I loved it and I've recommended it so many times. I've also since found out that it's a word of mouth bestseller. So it's not a book that you're going to find on the New York Times bestseller list, but it is a bestseller through word of mouth. So one person tells another and another and another and another, just like I'm going to do today. So it's called If Women Rose Rooted. So if they rose Rooted, The Power of the Celtic Woman. This is by a woman named Sharon Blackie. Um, so I'm looking at her Goodreads, Goodreads page. She's got a, a lot of amazing books out here. This has got a 4.29 rating on Goodreads. And um, I, for one, can back it up because I loved it. I loved it, loved it. I'm going to read this to you. So it says, Rising high up on the heather-covered moorlands, seeping through our bogs, flowing down our streams and into our rivers, and out onto the sandy strands of the rock-strewn Atlantic seaboard are the old Celtic myths and stories waiting to be reclaimed and revisioned for the modern world already. It's hooked me. <laughs> Age 30, Sharon Blackie found herself weeping in the car park of a multinational corporation where she worked, wondering if this was what a nervous breakdown felt like. Somewhere along the line, she realized she had lost herself and so began her long journey back to authenticity, rootedness in place and belonging. In this extraordinary book of myth, memoir, and modern day mentors... And then in brackets, it says, from fashion designers to lawyers. Blackie faces the wasteland of Western culture, the repression of women, and the devastation of our planet. She boldly names the challenge to reimagine women's place in the world and to rise up. Rooted in our own native landscapes and the powerful Celtic stories and wisdom that sprang from them. A haunting heroine's journey of every woman who finds inspiration and solace in the natural world. I loved this book so very much. I loved it. Um, I have a keen understanding that like it wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea. So there's a lot of um, folklore in this. Okay, there's a she starts. It's like like they said, it's a blend of a memoir as well as like there's education in this. There's also um, folklore and myths and Celtic stories. And so she just beautifully weaves these three things together. And you guys have heard me say before that I, the way I real, like the way I receive information from spirit often is steeped in like storytelling and symbolism, metaphors. Um, that's how I really learn and that's how I grasp onto things. And that's how I will write one day, just a sneak peek. Um, that's what you could expect from a solo book by me is kind of this weaving and this blending, the storytelling. And this is how Sharon writes. And so for me, it was just a five star, a five star read for me. Um, I just, I, I just, I was hungry for it. It was so, so, so good. Sharon, if you're listening, I'd love for you to come on the podcast and talk to us all about this. It's about how women were, you know, this, this, they were really conduits, right? They're so connected to 
the landscape and to where they come from and to the earth and, and spirit and nature and that in the culture and the world that we live in now, we're so, I, I'm not going to generalize and say everybody, but a lot of us are disconnected from this. We're disconnected from the divine feminine. Like that's an obvious, most of us very much are disconnected from the divine feminine because it hasn't been safe to be that way. Right. We talked about that with the witch wound. And then you've got this pagan, pagan religion, which is being in touch with all that and how some would, you know, view that as, uh, what did I read back here? There was a quote of something that said, ecologists saw paganism as a means of preserving the increasingly fragile planet and attuning to nature's need. So there's like kind of a positive spin on this, which is if you all feel like you're connected with each other and you're connected to the earth and to the land, to the elements, then you will treat it better. Right. Um, so everything I've talked about today is really blended into this one overarching theme. And it really has to do about connection to self and connection to nature. And for me personally, I feel most connected to self and most connected to nature during these transition seasons, fall and spring, when we are in the in-between. I hope you all have an absolutely beautiful Samhain and Halloween. And if you're a parent and you are taking your little kids out trick-or-treating, have so much fun. If you're getting dressed up, whether it's for yourself or for a party, have fun. And I will see you back here next week for another episode. Take good care. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider hopping on over to wherever you listen to your podcast and giving it a five star review. Thank you so much in advance. If you'd like to keep in touch, please head over to my website, theintuitiverising.com to keep up with all the things that I have been doing. I also have a private Facebook community for people just like you. It's called the Intuitive Rising Community. All you got to do is request to join and I will let you in. Keep rising.